Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkron. Today I have the distinct pleasure of speaking with one of my colleagues at the OCHS. Uh, I get to speak with uh, Zoe Sladoff, who uh, tutors Sanskrit at the OCHS, has been instrumental in building the program there, among um, other pastimes of hers that we'll hear about. Zoe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Raj. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's really interesting in that I hadn't met Nick Sutton until I interviewed him. And then he said, well, why don't you tutor for us? And then um, I hadn't gotten to know Daniel, one of our fellow tutors, until I interviewed him about his yoga book. Uh, and now you and I, we haven't really had a, chance, had a chance to chat after about a year of me there. But I guess we'll get to know each other on the podcast. I guess it's easier than having a coffee these days, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll have a Zoom meeting and we'll record it and then we'll share it with the world. And then we'll, and we'll know call each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your you know, your journey towards, you know, the Devabhasha, the language of the gods. Like, how did that start up for you? Sure. I was, um, well, I was 18, I guess, or 19, and um, living in the East Village and studying engineering at Cooper Union. Um, And I had started practicing yoga, actually, when I was 15. And, um, And then somehow sort of fell into teaching a bit when I was 18, because back then there were not a lot of yoga teachers. And so people kept asking me to teach. And, um, and I'd done a bit of studying and I had been practicing vinyasa mostly. And then I moved towards Ashtanga. And then um, my teacher, Patabi Joyce, was here in New York. Um, and I practiced with him for a month when I was about when I was 20. And at the end of the month, I went up to him and he said, come to Mysore. And I said, OK. And I quit school, um, <laughs> gave up engineering. I didn't want to be an engineer anyway and went to Mysore for about four or five months. Um, And he was a Sanskritist also. And so I would listen to him, you know, and he knew everything by heart. So I would listen to him sort of rattle off texts. And I just was just in awe and fascinated and really wanted to know what everything meant. Um, And then I was living um living in this little house called post office house because it was next to the post office um, and my roommate uh, my roommate james had somebody who would come to his house and teach him sanskrit and i didn't quite know that was what was happening at first like this thing would happen and a few people would come and they would close the door and i would hear this chanting from the other side and you know people making funny sounds and um I was really intrigued and I asked if I could get in on that. Um, so I joined the Sanskrit classes and we had this amazing teacher, um, Vinayaka, and he he brought his harmonium every time and, you know, he'd sort of chant and sing the alphabet. And um, I remember walking through the streets of Mysore just sort of, you know, singing the alphabet all day, especially like, 
I just thought that was the funniest letter. And just, you know, all of the, the, uh, all of the sounds sort of just, you know, in my head and rolling off my tongue. And then, you know, hearing the local language, Canada everywhere, which has the same sounds or pretty much. And so it was kind of just everywhere. And, um, yeah, I was really excited and intrigued and I studied for a few months there. Um, and then, then I came home and I bought myself a book um, and I'm a pretty diligent person. So I studied for about an hour a day and, you know, about for about six months. And at a certain point, I had a lot of questions and nobody to ask my questions to. And I sort of gave up for a while. Um, then I went back to India and I studied, I think, with... Um, Jayashree in Mysore that time, who many people studied with. Um, and again, I studied diligently for a few months. And then I came back and I didn't want to use the same book. So I got myself a different book. And I started again from the beginning. And I did it for about six months every day for an hour. And again, I hit that point. And this happened about, I don't know, maybe four times. <laughs> and, you know, I kept sort of getting a bit further along. But I always hit this I'd always hit this point. Um, and then I decided to go back to school um, and I went to Columbia and I thought I was going to study cognitive science or psychology or something. And I took a Sanskrit course with um, Gary Tubb, who is amazing. And I actually took both the beginner and intermediate simultaneously because I was sort of somewhere in the middle. So I, was, I had like three hours of Sanskrit class three days a week, you know, from like nine to noon. And I was just so in love with it. And it was just like such a joy to get to do that. Um, so I did that for a couple of years there and I switched my major and finished my degree and then um, rolled into, or not rolled into, I applied for and <laughs> then was accepted into, <laughs> it sort of felt like I just rolled into a PhD program at Columbia. Um, but I actually ended up stopping after the master's um, for a variety of reasons. But that was sort of enough for me at that moment. And partly just because Gary Tubb, who'd been my favorite professor, had left and gone to Chicago. And I missed him um, and was sort of in a different situation than I'd started. Um, and then I opened my... Sorry, this has turned into a long story. but <laughs> um, And then I went, uh, then I started my yoga shala that was 12 years ago. Um, and all the while I'd been going back and forth to India and sort of studying when I was there and um, doing various things. I spent seven months writing my MA thesis about a text on yoga and Ayurveda, studying with an Ayurvedic doctor there. And yeah, studying with various Sanskritists also in, in India. Um, yeah, and then I opened my yoga shala, and um, I started teaching some Sanskrit classes, and I just had a few people, and, you know, like I said, I'd been through pretty much every book that existed, <laughs> and I didn't love any of them. I mean, all of them, you know, I just sort of, one, I'd gotten stuck, like I said, and also, um, I just kind of they all made you read all these made up sentences and I, you know, for months and months of made up sentences. And I just wasn't interested in reading, you know, Rama goes to the forest. I really, I wanted to, I wanted to teach my students texts and I wanted to get them excited about that as soon as possible. 
So I started writing notes and this went on for about, I don't know, six months or a year where I was just, you know, I had class, I had like five or six really great students. Um, and yeah, I, I started writing, started writing these notes. And at a certain point I had like 50 or 60 pages of them. And, and it was really fun. You know, it was like doing it exactly the way I wanted and getting people into texts and finding the right texts to teach people things. Um, and then I, I was talking to a student of mine at the time who was a writer and, um, and he was like, oh, you should show it to this other student who happened to be a publisher. Um, lucky me. Um, so I showed it to him and he told me to write a proposal and I wrote a book proposal and I showed him my 60 pages and um, they gave me a book deal and then I had to write a book. And I thought it would take about a year um, and it actually took six, uh, partly because I was doing 10 other things simultaneously and I sort of gave it my best energy every about an hour every morning. Um, but it did, it, it did take six years and it is a very big book. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize that until my publisher actually brought me a copy because it was on my laptop. I didn't know. Um, but yeah, it was really, I had so much fun writing it and it took about four years to realize that anybody else, you know, that to actually realize like, Oh, I think I'm going to finish this. And, you know, I was kind of just doing it for myself and I had no idea what would happen or if people would actually read it or use it or, you know, yeah, at, at all. A number of themes, <laughs> yeah, a number of themes that are striking about uh, your journey with Sanskrit. Um, many of the themes I can relate to, actually, but you have, um, you have been you were given access to Sanskrit as an embodied language. Uh, uh, you know, there are Sanskritists who learn Sanskrit in silence, right? For on sure. Paper. Yeah. Uh, and not uncommon in the West. No, and, totally. I mean, that was um, what struck me the most when I started at Columbia, actually. I was like, none of these people have actually said much of this out loud. <laughs> and, and and that's that's particularly and and quite often you can gain I mean for example if, if one were to learn you know um, Russian or German or French for secondary scholarship in Hindu studies they may not need to be conversant they're using it for translation um, definitely uh, it, it, there's definitely utility there yet it, it, it's the the, um, the irony is that the language is so preoccupied with the production of sound exactly with 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 the majesty of sound and how sounds combine and it's it, it's like um studying exquisite symphonies but only in sheet music right it, exactly. it's just yeah and it's so there's this, an oral language so yeah it's well there's this, there's this <laughs> emphasis in your journey of being called into both the, uh, the, the 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 pronounced language on the tip of your tongue and also in a related way, being called into a, um, um, a spiritual or philosophical circuit where the language is being used for um, exposition of Shastra, perhaps even for practice. And so th those things really stand out to me about your path. And as I said at the outside, we haven't really spoken before <laughs> for no other reason than, you know, schedules, right? Um so tell us, uh, I imagine that those experiences were formative to um, the result of the book. Tell us a little bit about how the book is different from other Sanskrit primers. Um, for sure. I mean, like you said, the sound is really, it's always been fundamental to how I've learned the language and I wanted to share that as well. I mean, even, 
yeah, before I started teaching online classes from the book, um, I there's a full audio for the book on my website, which is free and goes um, with the text. And I've also I've also studied classical Hindustani singing, and you know I've spent a lot of time sort of thinking about sound and making sounds, and um, and so it's always been important to me that yeah that sort of you know part of it, and to actually bring the two methods together. I mean you know there's value in the Western method as well, and you know you sort of learn things in a certain sense in a you know in a methodical way that I think appeals to many Westerners more than, you know, the sort of method of learning an entire text by heart and then, you know, the traditional method and then sort of learning the meaning. And so I sort of wanted to bring the two together. And I always felt that very strongly. And yeah, I'd had these two very different experiences of studying. And so, yeah, to me, what I wanted to share with my students and with, you know, whomever was to read my book was to sort of try to give people the experience of both right from the beginning um, and to encourage people, you know, when they're studying to read out loud and talk to themselves out loud and, you know, and chant. I mean, on the audio, all of the verses are chanted, you know, to encourage people, you know, yeah, to hear the sounds, to hear the pronunciation, but also to hear the rhythms. Um, Would you, for for those who are out there, I'm sure a number of the the, the audience might be, uh, directly or somewhat familiar um, with what you're speaking about. If you don't mind, would you give us a bit of a flavor of, say, a verse or a way in which it's presented so that those who, who may not have studied Sanskrit, you know, they might be quite intrigued to, to, to learn how this methodology is, on the one hand, quite different from, from most modern methodologies, but on the other hand, quite traditional. This is the way Sanskrit has been taught forever. Yeah. Like, what would that sound like? Meaning you want me to chant something or? <laughs> if you're, unless you are going to throw something at me because I put you on the spot, then don't. But if you don't mind, I can or just give folks I... a sense. Sure. Like, like um, in something from the book or, or something you'd, you'd be teaching or can, give us a flavor for it. chant to Ganesh because. <laughs> well, like... let's remove some obstacles. <laughs> exactly. Go for it. Exactly. Always seems like a good place to start. <laughs> Um, Vakratunda Mahakaya Surya Koti Samaprabha Nirvignam Kuru Medeva Sarva Karyeshu Sarva Da Thank you very much for giving us a flavor of of, of Sanskrit. And the fun Um, thing is that, you know, we translate, we actually translate that in chapter three of my book because it's a very good illustration of the vocative case. And so when we get to cases. Uh, and it's, it's just to give folks a sense. <laughs> I mean, we, we have specialists that listen to the podcast or colleagues do. We have a continuing studies audiences. Obviously many of our students at OCHS, they, they, they find OCHS through the podcast and vice versa. Um, and it, it, the, the language, I mean, 
even stripped away of that beautiful voice and musicality, even just uttered aloud as you would just um, speak. I mean, the language is like, Mahakaya Surya Koti Sama Prabha. I know it's in verse, but nevertheless, Nirvignam Gurme Deva Sarvakarishu Sarvada. The language itself is. It's called, you know, uh, um, um, uh, well-made, purified. It, the, the emphasis on the the the, the, the specific uh, uh, acoustic utterances can't be um, overstated. It seems to me, with respect to Sanskrit, would you agree with that? Oh, completely. And yes, I definitely, you know, I'm a singer, and so I tend to I tend to do things in a more melodic way. But they definitely have the resonance. Regardless, and it, the no, that's it's beautiful. Um, it's beautiful. The the point I was making that even for those no, who that's aren't what I mean. yeah, musically it talented, <laughs> it doesn't have to. The, be the, the language is is emphasize emphasizes um, sacred utterances. So you use Sanskrit as a means of you know learning a language opens up all that's composed in that language. Obviously, so it's you're you're accessing a a, a world, story worlds, philosophy worlds. But in addition to that. It seems that Sanskrit is also part of your practice or spirituality or life in some way, more than just access to ancient texts for learning. Would you say that's about accurate? For sure. And I mean, you know, bringing the two together was really important. So my book, um, it's called Yogavataranam, the translation of yoga. And that's really, I mean, I like, I sort of made up that word because (laughs) avatarana means, you know, like avatar, descent or incarnation, but it also means translation. Um, and it's, and it's sort of like, that's exactly, you know, it's sort of translating, translating yoga through translating text. So most of the texts I use, in, I mean, there are some popular mantras, um, as, as I just chanted, but all mainly I use yoga texts, um, the, the Bhagavad Gita, the Hathapadipika, the Shiva Samhita. Later in the book, we get into some of the early Upanishads that are sort of related to yoga, but mainly yoga texts. And so I wanted to write, I mean, one, I wanted to write a book that was more accessible, I guess, and to sort of bring, I wanted to bring Sanskrit to those who, yeah, to yoga practitioners um, and to sort of make it sort of more available, easy. I mean, it's still hard work and I will never tell anybody that it's not. And you can ask my students, but, you know, to make it worthwhile. So you're working hard on this, but you are, you are translating things that are directly meaningful and relevant and enriching to your own practice. And yeah, the sounds, the words, the meanings, all of those things all at once. I have to say, you really just <laughs> speaking with with you about this really takes me back to my satsang days. Um, <laughs> the heyday was maybe maybe there was a number of years where my teacher was alive and in Toronto, and I studied with him one on one. But really, I had this <laughs> fascinating period from about two thousand and seven to twenty ten, where I was doing a master's at the University of Toronto, half time taking Sanskrit grammar, among other things at that point, um, and also just immersed in, I don't know, three to five public satsangs a week and hours and hours of training. And just just seeing the language and its range of motion in the semantic sense, in the grammatic sense, in the liturgical sense, in the philosophical sense, in an acoustic sense, being chanted in the yoga studio. It's just, you know, there's something about your the, the synergy that you bring that really, um, really uh, <laughs> reminds me of... of 
many of those circles from my past and potentially my future. <laughs> enough of enough of me and my my random confessions. <laughs> More about you. Tell me about the OCHS. I'm the new kid on the block. I do my own thing. I'm in my own <laughs> world. I, I, I decided to, to you know do some online teaching, and and here we are. But you've been there for a while. You. You, you t- tell me about the, the censorship program there. It was kind of miraculous, I think. Um, I um, I knew Daniel, and he um, I can't remember what order it happened in. I taught a I taught his um, or I guess Nick's actually uh, um, philosophy of yoga course. I taught it for him one semester when he was away, and um, and then. I was visiting in the UK and um, I think he took me into the OCHS to meet Lal and we um, and whoever else was there that day. Um, And and they'd asked if I wanted to teach um, a Sanskrit course from my book. I mean, they already had my book and um, and it was something I had kind of been thinking about, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm generally kind of, you know, a somewhat private person. And <laughs> I wasn't sure if I wanted to sort of be, um, yeah, like, I, yeah, I didn't know if I wanted to be recording. In the limelight. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the limelight. This is what I'm sensing. What, what year was that, 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 that fateful um, encounter? What year was that? Year? Has it been roughly three or four years now? Um, I'm trying to think my, I think it's been three it was, it was a few the years. Of 20, and, it was the beginning of 2018. It was the beginning of and 2018. And I think. Tell us in those three to four years what's happened. <laughs> so, so yeah. And I mean, also, I mean, the other thing for me was that, you know, I very much am, I'm kind of old school in my Sanskrit study and teaching. You know, I want people to use a pencil and paper. I want people to, you know, write their alphabet out in Devanagari by hand and away from their screen and, you know, no apps. And <laughs> so this thought of sort of doing an online class, it was just sort of like boggled my mind. Um, but then I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. And I was talking to a friend of mine here um, who's an artist and um, he actually does some really interesting Indian miniature paintings and collects yantras and um, interesting stuff. But anyway, he happened to have a friend visiting, um, Richard Coltman, who um, is a photographer uh, and videographer and um and he was visiting for like a few weeks. And so I'd been talking to Alex. I was like, oh, do you know anybody who can record and do this for me? And he introduced me to Richard. And Richard came to my Yagashala and brought all his gear, which again, sort of like, you know, I don't allow people to bring their cell phones in. I don't allow, I don't allow anything into their, into my shala. And yet here we had all this equipment. Um, and But it was really fun. I Yeah, we had a lot of fun working together. And we filmed level one, which covers the first two chapters of my book. And um, and we filmed it and, you know, I sort of, and we edited it and I kind of had no idea what would happen. And then we put it up there and the first semester we had 129 students. And I just, you know, I had no idea that would happen. And amazing students, people from all over the world, people of all different backgrounds and it was just so much fun. It, would, it was like, like, I couldn't even believe that I'd spent six years writing this book. And then here were all these people 
you know, using my book and reading my book and enjoying my book and learning from, and but with me. And, you know, there's, I, I, I grade everybody's homework every week. I mean, everybody who does their homework. So I have a lot of um, personal interaction with people. Um, I thankfully now have Jessica as my TA for level one and two, or <laughs> I would be in trouble, but I do still, yeah, I grade a lot of homework. So we did level one and then, you know, that went so well that they said, you know, why don't you keep going? Um, so Richard, who actually lives in Poland, who, you know, we probably wouldn't have done this if we knew we were going to continue. We thought it was like, oh, he happens to be in New York. Um, but we flew Richard back to New York and we actually filmed levels two, three, and four in like, a few weekends because I can only re- I could only record in my yoga shawl on the weekends, so we would just film all day and um, and again it just really it's actually really fun to get to bring it to get to bring it to life and you know talk about it all and chant and and read the texts um, so yeah we filmed levels two three and four and people kept doing it and I was just so impressed by all these you know people around the world who were just continuing to study Sanskrit. Um, and I, you know, and, and then we, then, yeah, we did two, three, and four, then we did five, six, and seven, and seven B. Um, and then COVID. Um, so Richard was just about to come back um, and didn't. This was last summer. And so I, we, with his help, figured out how to do the filming myself. Um, it's a good solo activity once you figure it out. <laughs> Definitely a learning curve. Um, but he's still edited edited all of them. And we're actually just in the middle of editing level 11, which goes through the very end of my book. And I still have about 20-something students who are going to make it all the way all the way through and they're amazing and they've been my guinea pigs and (laughs) um yeah it's just it's been so wonderful to get to bring to get to bring my book to life really and you know now that's fantastic five thank you i teach about five courses a semester i think this semester we're doing i'm doing level one three five seven and ten um and yeah, it's it's really fun seeing people, just seeing people grow and seeing people learn and watching them translate. And um, you know, perhaps unsurprisingly, another another parallel that I pick up. Um, we have such in <laughs> parallel journeys; it's fascinating. I very old fashioned kind of handshake in person kind of guy, and wasn't too much of an online person. I was I was the guy I was like for for dinner. How about we put our phones away? That was me. I'm you 100%. <laughs> uh, I actually went from a huge skeptic about online education to being a convert. Me too. To it's now amazing. being a ringleader. And I, it honestly, it just blew my mind open. The, the, the level of impact and even intimacy that you can have in the online medium you know, probably much like yourself, it took a little bit of innovating to, it's so strange. We're so sort of put on, put out oriented by our disposition, you know, or, you know, overtly or just maybe just by temperament. Um, and yet, <laughs> I, 
I sense something similar in what you're, you're talking about in your path in that in embracing all that stuff that we sort of rejected, like online and tech and all that stuff, we're actually probably some of the most effective online teachers because we find ways to engage people as if we were in the room. And hearing you say, I have all these students, but I still mark their stuff personally and still have like, like, you know, there's that immediacy, right? That you probably wouldn't give up. Oh, I mean, I feel like I know everybody. And, you know, before people pass through New York a fair bit. So I actually, you know, I end up meeting people when they come through New York. And I, I feel, especially the people who keep going, you know, by level three, I feel like I know everybody, you know, it's sometimes the level one, there's so many people, you know, it's sort of like, got to make it past level one, but especially by level three, and everybody beyond there, I really feel like I, you know, I know everybody personally. And, and what I think what to me is so amazing and powerful is just that it allows people from all over the world to join. And because they're, the sessions are pre-recorded and people can do it on their own time, it makes it so much more accessible. I mean, like I said, when I taught in, when I taught Sanskrit in my yoga shala, you know, maybe I got five or six people. I think, you know, a couple of times I'd get like 10, but you know, you're rarely going to get more than that consistently on a Sunday afternoon in New York or whatever. Um, And so, yeah, it's just been so exciting to get to reach so many people who I wouldn't otherwise. um, Yeah. It's, it's deeply fulfilling. And I've said this to others for sure. Um, uh, There's a, there's a few of us that I've talked to, at least on the podcast. Um, It's probably part of why Nick, Nick and I clicked the way we did. Uh, I've said this to Seth. I've said this to um, Kate about BSO, to a number of people uh, online that were just a little bit ahead of a curve. And guess what? You know, one, uh, for all of its horrors, one of the boons of COVID is folks are now more accustomed, probably sick of. So, you know, we need to have some face-to-face time for sure. But, but I imagine that there's a, a bit of this online muscle mass that will remain in our in our set kind of social uh, setting, and people now know what Zoom is. People now are well aware of an online course, and it's interesting because you know the the time and the space constraints, the location geography constraints, and the, the scheduling constraints. They really opened up through online education, and then I think that. Um, with the right temperament and the right strategies, you can nevertheless um, uh, have your cake and eat it too and still create kind of an intimate setting for people. So it's it's really, really interesting to have you uh, be pulled into Sanskrit and then pulled into writing a book and then pulled into like, you know, creating courses for your book. And now, you know, you're, now you're a fixture of the, of the OCHS's continuing studies program. Uh, you've, you've inadvertently sort of, you know, created an entire online program through your own journey. I feel similar in, in like, I have a, an online school that landed in my lap, that just kind of crystallized after a number of years of teaching online. So, so fun. Um, what else did you want to share about, you know, your journey at OCHS with Sanskrit in general, your book, uh, your yoga shala? I mean, there's so many threads. We will definitely post links to everything in the podcast notes. But what else comes to mind that you may want to touch on? Um, let's see. I mean, another thing that's been interesting is that at the beginning of the pandemic, I, I wanted to do something and, you know, was missing being in my shala with students. And I started doing um, a 
I started doing actually a daily chanting and meditation session um, at noon every day, just half an hour. And for the first many months of the pandemic, I did it every single day. And it was amazing. I had like, you know, 50, 60 people from around the world who, especially when we first started and, you know, it was nice. I just wanted to do something and, you know, do something that was free and available and, um, cause it, it just felt like, you know, we were also helpless to do anything. And so I did that. And then, you know, I slowly started taking Saturdays off and then I cut it down to, you know, and, but we're still doing it twice a week and I still have like 20 people. We just did it a couple hours ago. Um, and it's so lovely. And a lot of my, it's lovely to get to see people because a lot of people from the OCHS come from all of my online courses come. And then all of a sudden, you know, I get to see them too. Um, and they're just, you know, and it's really nice to actually get to see people and engage with people. And, um, yeah, just, yeah, we also did, I, yeah, we did a couple of the um, online schools for the OCHS sort of last summer. And that was, again, really fun to just get to engage directly with people who I know very well through writing and, um, you know, and less, less. Yeah, there's definitely, I naively just decided to hold live tutorials when I first started. And just part of how I teach wherever I teach. And it's, as you say, just having that intimate time with people or that direct time with people, it really can be a game changer. Um, we've continued the online schools. I'm not sure if they'll continue past COVID. I imagine they will. I'm currently organizing one on the Mahabharata coming up, which should be lots of fun. Yeah. Uh, a, a great a great topic might actually be Sanskrit and Sanskrit culture at some point for a future one. We actually did one. Um, I mean, I would like to do another one. We, But I actually did one. When did was it? It was... Um, Maybe it was 2019 and we did it in person. Um, and that was, it was, you know, before, before, before. Um, and it was yeah. <laughs> before, before the flood. <laughs> it felt like that. It's like a million years ago when life was different. Um, incredibly again. But, you know, I went to Oxford and we did a weekend school. I guess that's what they were just, yeah, a weekend school. Yeah, they were, they were in person and they recently, I think as of last fall, they, they, did the first online one on Tantra. We did it. Daniel and I actually did a couple last summer. What did we do? Um, We did one in April or May. I think it was May actually. Cool. Um, And then, yeah, one at the end of the summer too. And that was, yeah, that was lots of, I mean, part of why we did it actually, I was supposed to go and do another one in person, May, 2020. And, you know, I'd already booked a ticket and we'd started telling people and, you know, so we canceled that. So that's partly why, that was actually where the first online one kind of came from was that I was sort of feeling sad not to get to do that in person. And then, you know, sort of talking and I remember, yeah, sort of talking lol about it and like, Oh, maybe we could do this online or some version of this online. Um, so I think that might've been where it actually, where the idea Fantastic. Oh, great. Great. So it's your fault. I have to organize these every few months. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I, I signed up for it. I love it. Uh, I get to, I get to, I get to collect some fantastic scholars on a program and it's great. Lots of fun. It's good fun. Well, we'll put the link for all those events as well in the podcast notes for people who might be interested. Um, it was great having you on the podcast today. Thank you. Great being here. You know, 
I realize that you know if I want to you know have um, if I want to get to know someone, I just have to invite them on the podcast. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's the way to do it. Apparently, I know it's, it's so, a lot easier when you yeah, especially living living in different places these days. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. All right. Well, for those of you been for those of you listening uh, out there in uh, in the online world, the timeless time of podcast land. Um, we've been speaking with Zoe Slatoff, who is the author of a, uh, a fantastic um, Sanskrit grammar book that infuses much of her, her 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 academic training and also her traditional training with the language. We'll put a link for the book in the podcast notes. She also has been instrumental in developing a number of levels of Sanskrit study at the OCHS. If that's something that might be of interest to, to you, definitely check it out. Um, and we'll also put a link in the podcast notes for her Ashtanga Yoga Upper West Side uh, Shala. Um, until next time, stay safe, stay sane, and keep contemplating the language of the gods, Sanskrit. <laughs>